Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 114 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, before we get into the main part of the show, I wanted to let you know about my online PR course and group coaching program, Vegans in the Limelight. It's ideal for small business owners, including authors, artists and creatives on a budget who understand the value of getting yourself or your vegan brand featured regularly in the media, but can't afford to spend thousands of dollars or pounds a month to hire a publicist or PR firm. With Vegans in the Limelight, you get access to online video training that takes you through every step of how to get media coverage that can help you generate more leads and sales, as well as grow your email list and social media following. So we cover how PR and social media work in tandem, how to research and target the media without spending a cent, how to find the stories in your vegan brand on a regular basis, How to approach journalists the right way with ideas and stories. That's a really important one. How and when to write a media release. How to create an online media room for your website without spending heaps of time or money. How to respond to journalists' call-outs or queries, which is the easiest and quickest way to get media coverage and free publicity content marketing and PR, so how to create your own shareworthy stuff and leverage it to the max, writing and content creation tips for opinion pieces, listicles, features and columns, speaking gigs and PR, so how to leverage events to gain media coverage, and interview tips for print, online, radio and TV. Now, as well as the video training, which you go through at your own pace over 12 months, the program also includes a full 12 months of group coaching, including a monthly live Q&A call. You can also post your questions throughout the year on the learning platform, and you can post your pitches and media releases and get feedback from me before you send them to journalists. So you've basically got me holding your hand, helping you to do your own PR for a full year. It's a great value program. It's way more affordable than similar courses. And it's the only one that's specifically aimed at vegan and plant-based business owners, entrepreneurs, authors, coaches, and creators. Current students have already got media coverage in mainstream and specialist newspapers, magazines, radio and TV shows, as well as blogs and podcasts. So if you'd like to get your vegan brand or yourself featured in the media, but don't have the budget to hire a publicist or PR agency, then I highly recommend you check out this program. You get full and immediate access to the materials as soon as you enroll. You can find out all the details by going to veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the link for the program Vegans in the Limelight. And there's also a link on the show notes page. And if you have any questions about the program, including whether it's right for you, feel free to email me at katrina at veganbusinessmedia.com. Now for the main part of the show. 
In this episode, I interview Alon Hochberg, co-founder and CEO of Billion Vegans, an online marketplace that is aiming to be the Amazon for vegans. Born and raised in Israel, Alan is a serial high-tech entrepreneur and angel investor who has founded five companies over the past 25 years. He started his first business, Modus, in 1995 and funded it by himself with a second mortgage. It was one of the first companies in the world that developed an enterprise-grade customer relationship management application. Alon sold the business three years later to the largest system integrator in Israel. In February 2017, after accidentally seeing a short video about the dog-eating festival in China, Alon immediately went vegan. After spending several months replacing his food, clothes, cosmetics and dog supplies, reading the fine print on every product and contacting the vendors for more information, he bought a pair of vegan shoes on Amazon. When they arrived, he found out the glue was made of pig's bones and decided then and there to start Billion Vegans to provide an online marketplace selling only vegan certified products. The site launched in July 2018 in the US with plans for international expansion into 2019 and beyond. In this interview, Alon discusses some of the key challenges facing startups, particularly in the tech space, the two crucial things every startup needs for success, why passion can sometimes kill a startup, how he turned his perceived limitations into strengths that he's used to build companies, how he managed to raise $60 million over the years for his various companies, including a VC fund, how Billion Vegans is different to other online vegan stores and the benefits to business owners of listing their products on the platform, why he chose a mix of private investment and equity crowdfunding to fund Billion Vegans, and how those who invest in the WeFunder campaign will get their rewards, and much more. Here's the interview with Alon Hochberg from Billion Vegans. Hello, Alon. Welcome to the show. Hi, Katrina. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Good. It's lovely to speak with you because I know you've got a lot of experience as an entrepreneur and particularly in the high tech uh, business sector. I think you've been an entrepreneur for more than two decades and you've always been an entrepreneur. Uh, So tell me a bit about the why. Uh, What are your drivers for doing what you do? So I I guess initially we'll talk a bit about the Project Billion Vegans uh, as we go through our our chat today. But what are your kind of drivers for, for even being an entrepreneur? Um, I had, uh, I have ADD, attention deficit disorder, since I remember myself. Uh, I can either uh, get very uh, concentrated on something for hours or can't concentrate at, at all. It depends on the, the, the interest I have in, the, in what I do. So I had the same, I, I had it in, the, in, the, in school, and when I got into the army, I went into one of the most um, uh, elite uh, uh, units in the army, and that that uh, requires a lot of uh, learning and uh, development. and And uh, I again, the, the the material interests me, but the structure, the frame, I didn't like like it at all. So actually, I left the the unit, and I think that 
And after I, I, I left the army, I learned engineering for four years. And again, I was just coming for the, to the tests. I couldn't stay in the, in the classroom. So I understood at really a young age that uh, I wrote, don't really fit into, into uh, frames, that I need to create my own environment. So when I uh, finished, graduated engineering, I started my first company. And um, the thing is that I think, I believe that I'm quite creative and quite, uh, um, I, had, I can see for some reason ahead of the curve in, in, in mega trends. So it, in 1995, I um, started the CRM company uh, way before the acronym was even coined. And my idea was to um, have all the system in a large enterprises around the customer. I think that that was the value. And it includes the marketing, the, the sales, the service, the support. And I try to pitch this uh, pitch to, to local uh, enterprises in Israel. And they all say that it's almost impossible. And uh, then I actually came across my second uh, characteristics, which is, which is uh, if somebody said to me, if, if, if it seems logical, logical to me, and uh, most people say that it's impossible, this is exactly what I'm trying to do. So the combination of uh, thinking a bit outside of the box and being very uh, convinced about the way I see things which are not the conventional, and the fact that I, uh, in general, I like to build the, the company or the, yeah, the company, the team, uh, around my uh, set of skills and my many limitations um, drive me, drove me actually to, to build companies one after the other. Wonderful. And, uh, and the, the, the entrepreneurship, the high-tech industry is super intensive. Uh, you have a, it's like a phenomenal and scary roller coaster. <laughs> and um, it's, it's, it's actually drives me because of the adrenaline, because the adrenaline makes me concentrate. And when I concentrate, I succeed. So um, this is like a, like a bug, like a virus. I can't do anything else. I, I love need that. the excitement. <laughs> I, I, I like need the that. excitement. <laughs> It, it means that you're playing to your skill set. And I really like that because being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. And some people listening to this podcast, they might be wanting to start a business, but it actually isn't for everyone. And sometimes you might get into something and find out it's not for them. And then for others, it almost is like it's it's more natural. Some people say, oh, I'm a natural entrepreneur. I'm a born entrepreneur. But you're right. It's kind of, it's whatever works for you. So I, I love how you've, you've combined both, as you said, your skills and what you perceive to be your limitations to actually help to, to drive you. Now, I know you touched on the tech space being a, a bit of a roller coaster. Um, what are some of the key challenges facing startups and perhaps particularly in the, the tech space? And perhaps you can talk a little bit about some of your own challenges with your various companies and how you overcame them. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, let me, I, I will connect the previous questions with the current one. Uh, the thing is that I'm meeting a lot of people that are brilliant, have great ideas, even have uh, 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 execution skills, and I will touch upon it uh, in a second. But um, but they don't have the the most important quality, which is perseverance and determination. Because in most startups, things are again you you think that you come up with a vision and you just do it. But the practicality of it is that you have 
problems, obstacles, disasters, excitement every day. So I saw people that were, again, phenomenal people, but couldn't handle the stress, the, the stress of the, and the duration of the stress. And uh, um, so I think this is the most important uh, quality in an entrepreneur. I heard not, uh, not long ago somebody that described that the, the, the value in it is that if you continue long enough and stick to your guns and uh, don't break down, eventually something good will happen. And uh, I, again, this I think that this is the most important thing. The other thing that is crucial in, uh, in startups is, um, or this, I think the most, um, first of all, the most important thing in startup is really the team because ideas, great ideas, there are many great ideas. I've seen great ideas that came to nothing and the mediocre ideas that actually were very successful. So the idea is not, the only thing, not the, the idea or the size of the market. I think the team, the ability, the, the team to work together, uh, to actually uh, create synergy between the team members. Uh, I rarely see uh, companies that are uh, built on a single star. Again, we saw that uh, Jobs and, and Elon Musk, but I think it's rare. The, the, common, the common success relies on the, on the team. And this actually brings to the problem of creating teams because uh, I feel that in many startups I was involved or invested in or even saw from uh, from a side, the ego of the founders was the main obstacle. And I think it's maybe connected to the characteristics and of the, of the founders that I came in with a lot of passion and and enthusiasm and. Uh, and many times, this is actually cause uh, causes the problems in, uh, in a startup. Um, really? How come? How come the passion? How can that cause a problem? Um, <clears throat> because everybody is super convinced on his way, and uh, and again, when it when it comes to analyzing realistically the situation, it's fine. But when it comes to passion, to to emotions, to ego, uh, found, founders in many cases can't resolve it uh, themselves. And, uh, and and again, it actually depends on, on the if, many times the maturity of the of the uh, founders. For instance, when I started the the venture fund, one of the main ideas and unique ideas was that every founder puts twenty uh, percent of his equity into a joint pool that is divided eventually between the founders themselves. And the idea is that to create some kind of a synergy and genuine help among the, the the founders, because everybody was doing the same in the same domain, the same didactic industry. So it, for me, it was very logical. And the the scene in Israel is that there's a lot of uh, mutual help, but it's not really a commitment. When a founder has a really major stake in another entrepreneurial company, especially which if it's in the same domain, it's complementary to each other, they should help. And this is the idea. We encountered many entrepreneurs, in most cases, they were first-time entrepreneurs, that they said, hey, listen, my company is going to be the next Facebook, your company, or the other companies are not as good. And they didn't want to join. <clears throat> and, and it's fine. They may be great people, but they are not ready uh, for, 
I think for uh, for the for the job for the, for the role or especially yeah. because again when you are entrepreneur you sit in the in the in the ditch fighting or having a lot of things to do and you have uh, um, uh, next to you about hun- more hundreds more uh, teams like this they're doing almost the same thing as you the cooperation and synergy in between between within the team and among teams, I think it's something that is very crucial. Right. I got it. I like that you've shared that. That's quite interesting. I don't think we've had too many people on the show who have uh, raised that as uh, an issue. Definitely we've had people talk about the perseverance and the determination and the resilience needed to be an entrepreneur. But that's I really love that you've actually focused on the team and it's not just about the idea, it's about the team. So I think that's that's really good. So thank you for uh, for sharing that and, and some of your own challenges that you saw in, in that regard. So in regards to so the tech space in particular, I mean, any startup obviously needs capital and, and funding. The tech space, I think, is renowned for needing quite a lot of funding and investment. Mm. Um, now, you've raised, I believe, around $60 million over the years for your various companies, including the BC Fund. And you've also invested yourself in other companies as a, an angel investor. So can you talk a bit about how you've managed to do this? Because you said that you spent four years as an engineer. Um, so I'm curious how someone goes from that to being able to raise uh, you know, that level of funding. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and the steps you took to achieve that and any advice you can offer to vegan business owners who are seeking investors. Absolutely. Um, thanks for asking. Um, <clears throat> when I, again, when I, when I started my first company, I'm, I'm not a business person. I, my passion, and <clears throat> we'll get, get into it, my passion my religion, my uh, my hobby, and my profession was software or technology. I was really, really into it. It, was, it filled my world. And uh, I wasn't aware of, of, of the business aspect. So and when I started my first company, I had, again, it was, I, I thought it was a great idea. Most uh, people that uh, I encountered told me that it's impossible to, to uh, bridge between the service and the sales, not the in, from technology aspects and from the mindset aspects, <clears throat> I didn't know how to, to fund the company. I wasn't aware of uh, venture capital. So I took a second mortgage on my, my house, and uh, with that money, I built a company. And uh, within five years, we were really dominant in Israel. Um, and uh, <clears throat> so over those years, I understood... And first of all, the venture capital uh, uh, arena and, uh, and the market evolved over these years. And, uh, <clears throat> and then I became exposed to, to venture capital. So when I started my second company, uh, I, uh, and again, it, the, the, the round took very, very fast. I, I had a roadshow, a short roadshow in, uh, in the States. And retrospectively, now I know, I think I know what actually made investors invest in me because I think I, and again, I'm, I'm talking very openly and maybe I'm wrong, but the thing is that I really, because I built technology, I wrote the technology, I wrote the code, I was really knowledgeable, knowledgeable about it. I knew every portion of the code, the market, the needs. I really had a lot of knowledge. And so... In most cases, investors don't really know the domain and the specific application as good as you, and they just want to feel that you you know what you're doing. And I think that I conveyed it uh, quite well. 
Uh-huh. The other thing, and it's related to it, was the passion, because what I'm, whatever I do, I do with a lot of passion. And uh, this passion, I think, uh, reflected on my uh, determination and resilience and the fact that I was in the trenches for five years with my previous company, uh, um, self-funded and stuff, actually provided with this kind of a certainty. And the last thing, which is very controversial, is the fact that because I'm an engineer and other other drawbacks I have, I'm very sincere and blunt. And when I came to the to the investors, I always told them uh, the risks and why it might not work, and what are the caveats in the technology or the market product fit. And I was aware of those things because you don't have all the answers in the beginning. That's why the team is so important because you learn as you go mm-hmm. and you have to, again, I always say that if a startup doesn't do a pivot within a year, 90, 90 degrees pivot within a year, something wrong because you can't have an idea, have a blueprint and everything goes according to plans. Right. So, um, mm-hmm. so, and I think those three things convinced the, the investors that I'm about the, the integrity about my my uh, my ability and my intentions and in most cases I was able to raise money easier than than some uh, very smart articulated sales driven uh, in entrepreneurs I think nice. and um, yeah it still works today and again. Um, I like that. And that makes sense because I've interviewed some other investors uh, on the show and, and a lot of them say that they, that they actually want honesty. And I think you touched on something there. So, you know, you weren't saying, okay, this is perfect. This is an amazing idea. Yes, you had the passion, but you weren't saying, okay, it's perfect. You were like, okay, look, there are some risks. And, you know, you were very upfront and honest. And I know some of the, the other people I've interviewed have said they really like that and they appreciate that, that you don't know everything particularly at the start. So, um, no, I really, really like that. to really appreciate that you, you share that all right well let's talk a little bit about <clears throat> billion vegan so you you're you're the co-founder and you recently uh, launched billion vegans which is an online marketplace um basically aiming to be the amazon for vegans and you did this after going vegan nearly two years ago after you watched a video on the dog meat uh, industry in china and you've basically said that you wanted to make up for all when we spoke before you wanted to make up for all the years that you'd spent as many of us had um supporting animal exploitation so why did you choose to go with an online marketplace as your contribution? Um, first of all, it came out of my own need because I spent many months uh, replacing everything I knew. It's like reborn uh, from fashion to all the my cosmetic shampoo and dog food and, of course, everything about uh, food myself and my family. So I went through a really... A bit of an agonizing journey of spending a long time on the web, looking into the fine print, calling the sellers or the manufacturers to find out, and the, the, the information wasn't, wasn't available. So again, my, 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 uh, my need was to, for a place I can go in, and again, my uh, freedom to buy anything I, was, I want was really fresh in my mind because the, the switch was quite fast. So in Again, quite fast, I came across something that was hard and new for me. So, uh, so, and I think that this actually caused me to come up with the idea and the need because a lot of other vegans, many vegans, go 
easy through this journey over time and evolve into it. But I did it so fast that it was overwhelming. So I, I thought that this is exactly what, uh, what is needed. I thought that uh, there's a lot of um, um, <clears throat> educational uh, uh, efforts that, uh, that are done around the, the world in, in, to, to promote veganism, uh, pushing people into veganism. And I thought to myself that it should be like, it should evolve into not only pushing people into it, but also pulling them and actually making it much more, much easier. Mm-hmm. And the statistics, the staggering statistics that six out of seven people that tries or attempts to, to be vegan revert because of the challenges. It could be practical challenges, uh, family or environmental challenges, but there are many challenges. So I thought my promotion, my uh, contribution to the veganism would be by making it much more convenient that you can get in every time you need something and buy it really easily and one of the things that I encountered is the fact that uh, the, to be um, vegan in the States for instance it's quite expensive it's much more expensive that, than other uh, than not being vegan so I thought that if you're going to have a, a lot of products in one place a competition we're going to support new vegan businesses and services and provide more of those it will reduce the cost and that was a goal as well and the third thing is is making it fun again because vegans conceived or perceived as uh, as spartanic as as uh, people that eat as you know lettuce all day it's totally untrue so i wanted to create some kind of aura around around it that it's fun that it's successful that successful people are doing that that it's very conscious. It's the right thing. It's 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 tasty. You have and that's actually what the what was in the in the uh, the core of uh, creating billion vegans. Again, I built it from my own need because I wanted this. And actually, I was involved in uh, something like this. I helped two uh, nice entrepreneurs in Israel to do that <laughs> for me because I wanted. I actually I'm still buying from them a lot. And uh, for me, it's super easy. I'm getting and I'm buying everything. I know these people. I know that they're doing uh, doing the vetting for the product. And uh, but that was in Israel. So I, I look into the states and saw that there's nothing like this. That the market is growing and actually already huge. And it was for me as an entrepreneur, super easy. Uh, I, um, I first of all, I, I, I started with building the platform myself. I added people. I invested in some money in other technologies. And uh, we had the first version about uh, more than a year ago. And then we started to do the onboarding of, of, the, of the sellers. And again, everybody told me that onboarding sellers, this is the creating the inventory is the is the the most uh, challenging thing in marketplaces because you don't have traffic uh, 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 don't, still don't have traffic and you can't bring sellers with no traffic and the traffic won't come without sellers but the good thing about our community is that again most of the sellers were vegan themselves so i talk into them talk talk to them and convince them that this is the way they like the idea they uh, they were happy for themselves and for for the business opportunity that they are being presented, 
and um, and what they are joined the benefits? That's how we. What What are some of the for, benefits? Sorry, what What are some of the benefits to vegan business owners of of being part of and listing their products and being sellers on Billion Vegans, as opposed to say listing on other platforms, whether they're vegan or otherwise? This is, first of all, sellers want to have as many sales venues as possible. So, in general, most sellers don't care. They want to bring their products on board of as many marketplaces in order to uh, increase their sales. With and this is general in e-commerce, of course, and they want to join the ones that actually the marketplaces that had the, the most exposure, exposure and traffic. But uh, in in this case. Uh, there are a couple of things. First of all, many of the sellers, the vegan sellers are small, and for them, it's very hard to work with the, the, giants, the giants in, the, in this uh, uh, market because those giants, because they had so many demand, they are really strict about the rules, and, and um, we are more lenient about it because they are my, our friends from the vegan community. So... It was easier for them to, and we helped them to onboard and to define, uh, describe their products and, and to um, design their pages. And so we give them a lot of support and it's especially important for small sellers. Uh, other sellers actually don't want to, their products to be sold in, uh, in platforms that don't have an, an ethics or unique ethics or vegan ethics. So it was also uh, an advantage. But in general terms, Sellers will, will sell on our platform, on others. Most of them are agnostic to it. The, the value here is the, the customers. And again, many of them, the, a large portion of the, the vegan customers would like to buy, to purchase on a, on a vegan-only platform. And again, I, I really see it from my own perspective. First of all, one of the major uh, um, problems with entrepreneurs is the fact that they're taking the um, building a solution around what they feel and think and in many cases it's wrong because one is not a is not really a large uh, uh, audience and uh, so in this case it was me it was my pain my need i was again for the first few months i was talking only with vegans to learn the ropes and stuff so it came from from a need and a lot of vegans wants to, when I go to a restaurant, and in Israel there is a vegan-friendly badge that says that the, 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 the restaurant has a few <clears throat> vegan dishes. But for me to go into a restaurant that has a couple of vegan dishes versus going to a restaurant, which is vegan, which is I can see, I can, I can buy, I can choose anything from the menu, it's a world of difference. Yeah. Because... Because when I go to restaurant, I have a few dishes, like I'm a minority, they're doing me a favor. Okay, you're vegan, here's something that... We... When you go to a vegan restaurant, it's like they feel like me, they understand what I need. It's, it's, it's a common denominator. It's, it makes my experience much better. So this is exactly how I think about the vegan marketplace. And apparently many vegans do things the same because, again, for them, going in and just buy everything they see without looking uh, item item whether whether it's vegan and, and again many marketplaces have like a ability to filter 
But you go into uh, nice shoes and then you see related products. You go and suddenly you find yourself in a section that are completely unvegan. And it really annoys. And I think that many vegans can relate to it and, and, and agree with me. Yeah. The other thing is the vetting, which is super important because for now, every seller can say anything about the product. Uh, the, the legal limitations about the ingredients is not really effective. And so I, I don't trust, in many cases, I don't trust uh, the, the labels. So and this is what happened to me. So, I, uh, so we do a, a serious vetting. And again, not only on the products, but also on the seller. So if the seller says that he's a vegan-only company, vegan company, that all his products are vegan, we actually looking into it and verifying verifying it. Um, it's very important to us, and, and a lot of other information that is more important to vegans and to health issues enthusiastic and environmental, like uh, whether it's a, it's a, a GMO, whether it contains any anything that you need that is contained in it, whether it has some uh, a color, flavoring, and stuff. We actually put it uh, very. Uh, um, uh, emphasize it on, on the product themselves and for our perspective because it's ethical we want to go into sustainability and fair trade and have badges for each one so a, a person can a customer can go into the sense that I buying only things that are really environmental oriented or conscious and it can all the sides going to be like uh, about a product that has this badge the same thing about the uh, gluten free so I think that uh, we're trying to address the many flavors of the vegan uh, community, which, again, has many undercurrents. It could be health, it could be ethical, it could be sure. environmental, many other things. Yeah. Um, no, fantastic. I, I like that you're doing that because, it, as you say, it gives for vegan business owners who are, you know, our, our listeners, um, for them, it, as you say, it gives them another platform. So, yes, they can still sell on the other platform. They can still sell from their own website. But this is a place where they can, I suppose, particularly um, attract vegan customers or, and the different, as you said, flavors or the different types of um, vegans or people wanting to do ethical shopping. Um, and in return, obviously, that you're marketing billion vegans. So it's another opportunity for them to sell their products. And just to confirm, so with a marketplace, they're listing their products as a, a seller and and so they do all the fulfillment and the shipping. So you're not doing like the Amazon part where you've got big warehouses and you're actually fulfilling, have inventory and fulfilling. Uh, basically, as I understand it, the seller is responsible for the shipping themselves. Is that right? Yes, but first of all, it's temporarily. Again, we thought we want to grow as fast as possible. So versus like online, multi-vendor online shops that, that actually has the inventory and and has to manage it. So the growth is very, very limited. For us, we wanted to grow as fast as possible in the sense of to have as much product as possible. So for now, so the, the fact that every vendor or seller can, can register, can upload his uh, product, it's really, uh, and uh, we, can, we can scale and grow in order of magnitude. This is exactly what's happened because we don't have to have a huge amount of people to, to assist. Actually, we are assisting them, but we don't have to do it ourselves. We are using the, we're extending our team into, to include the, the, the sellers themselves. And again, this is something very important because a lot of sellers, vegan sellers, it's a newcomer uh, businesses that are small and they need a lot of assistance, assistance both in the uploading 
the product, defining them, and most importantly, in marketing. Because we saw that many small sellers have great products, but marketing is a complete different set of skills. Yeah. And many of them don't have those two. Uh, so when the company grows, it has more uh, departments that actually can handle marketing and sales and logistics. But small sellers do their job, do their create the product or service. And when they're coming to marketing, is really hard. And working with the giants, it's impossible. It's completely yeah. anonymous. And, uh, and they have to do all the marketing themselves. And what we do, like we have the vegan to vegan customer service approach. We have the same thing with, uh, with the sellers. Yeah, the vegan to vegan. Uh, yeah, the vegan to vegan customer service is super important. As I mentioned, that customers have a lot of issues, not only when they order something and didn't get it, but especially for vegans, especially for newcom- newcomers, they have a lot of questions about ingredients, about alternatives. So we're going to provide really a very personal service. The same thing with the sellers. We really handholding them in the process of getting the products on our on our store, and even helping them with the description of the products, the the, the images, things that again many small sellers are not aware of. It they've created a great product, but Marketing is a complete, and they don't have time. Many times, they don't have the, the the budget to do that. Yeah, and we help them. So, Brilliant. and this is the major challenge. Yeah, the thing is that again, over time, which means probably early next year, we're going to start doing our own uh, a warehousing and uh, shipments. Uh, because one of the, the places we want to to enter is the the packages. For instance, the new what we call the new V packages, new vegan. Uh, newbie vegan uh, packages that um, will include a lot of uh, samples for cosmetics and stuff. So people are going to ease the to ease the way into veganism. And uh, in order to do that, we have to have our own uh, uh, warehouse and shipment. And over time, we'll we'll, we'll do that. Okay. So for now, in order to to grow as fast as possible, we we do the we do we do it this way. But yeah. our plans are yeah. Got it. Got it. Wonderful. Thank you for, for sharing that. That's fantastic. Now, so Billion Vegans at the moment, you, you mentioned it's been funded to date by around $300,000 of private investment. And then you recently, uh, just in September, that's 2018 for people listening in the future, you launched an equity crowdfunding campaign on the we, on WeFunder, uh, whereby anybody, any private individual uh, from across the globe can basically own a stake in the company for as little as 100 uh, US dollars so tell us about the choices you made from from funding so you've done a combination of private and now the the we funder equity for crowdfunding so tell us a little bit about your choice of doing it that way um every company i'll start i was starting since my my first one i again i was initially funding the company and at some point uh, i went to my friends like and we did a lot of uh, joint uh, investments, and they were helping. Like in this time, this time the three hundred thousand came from uh, friends of mine in the in the business, uh, veterans, and actually people that made nice exits and stuff. And we worked together in that sense. And uh, we are we we started. We actually planned on uh, on a seed fund, uh, seed round uh, funding, and uh, we started to to work on it. But 
since when I when I started the company, my dream was to have the vegan community be part of the company, practically owning shares. I thought it would. I think that that I think that from all other companies I saw, this company is really the right company to do so because it's kind came from the, the the community. It serves the community. It's it's been driven by it. It's it seems so 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 uh, right to me, and we contemplated with the with the alternatives, and we, we couldn't do that. I actually thought initially to that every customer was going to get a share in the company for free just by buying it, but regular from regular regulation point of view, it was totally impossible. Uh, so about five years ago, uh, five months ago, sorry, when we started to think about the the seed round. We came across WeFunder, and it's actually a new, a new the Jobs Act is quite new, which, ena- which enables everybody to buy shares in a, in a company, in a private company. And for me, it was like a record. It's like exactly what I needed. So we 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 postponed the the other the roadshow practically, and we started with uh, with the WeFunder. And the idea was that again we lowered the valuation and lowered the minimum investment. So it would be really available and possible to everybody to own shares in the company. Hundred dollars buys you like like twenty five shares, which is which is nice. And the nice thing about it, first of all, it gives them the sense that they contributed to the effort. And it's not a donation because the nice thing about it is that. We hope that the company will worth a lot of money, and it's going to be so. They will earn a lot of money from the the investment or a good uh, multiplier. Um, but the so most important thing for me be? was. How would that be, Alon? Since you brought that up, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, and I know because there may be people listening, you know, who are on the, the listening to the show who may be interested in investing, and because it's not a typical investment where it, you know it's a public company, um, how will those rewards come? So as the company grows, how will people kind of reap the rewards of of buying equity crowdfunding shares? Um, there are two major main way. One is the for instance, you bought the share for four dollars, and the company grows and becomes successful. And eventually, it could go IPO, uh, public offering, and the 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 share can can be worth forty dollars. So you practically make ten times over your investment. So when the company goes public and you have the shares, you can actually sell them and and get rewarded. The same thing about an acquisition. So if a huge company or another company will buy the company and they will pay forty dollars to a share or four hundred dollars to a share, you can get you can. This is what you get back, and it could be again the ratio, the the success rate is low and stuff. But this it's an upside that that is that is uh, that is uh, possible. Moreover, people strategically can see that the vegan market is really growing exponentially. I think it's one of the, again, it's the, the fastest growing uh, community in the world. It has a lot of business uh, opportunities there. And, uh, and uh, investing in one of the, hopefully, the major players in this uh, domain is something that it's, it's, it's sensible. 
The third way, which is less common, is dividends. If the company really grows and decided not to be acquired and not to go IPO, but still have a lot of uh, revenues, revenues are being uh, distributed to the shareholders. So uh, somebody who invested $100 can get later on a few hundred dollars every, month, every year by dividends. Oh, okay. This is the investment portion of it. But this is like individual aspects of it, which is nice. Uh, but uh, major investors can put a serious amount of money and, and uh, get back uh, even... As more. it grows, yeah. So it's a more of a long-term investment. And I, I like the fact that you've brought the, the community into it and offer because often we see general crowdfunding campaigns, which are nice, you know, particularly for creative projects, you know, you want to kind of see something come to light. But I think equity crowdfunding, it's quite a new thing, I think, as you said, in the US that allows not just accredited investors, but, you know, just people who want to be part of a company. And like you said, they don't necessarily just want to donate, but they, you know, actually having a stake in something, it's just, it's, it's a different feeling, isn't it? It's sort of, gives you that feeling of ownership and you you want it to succeed um so i, I it makes sense that you would do that for, for something like this and it's great that you're offering the the vegan community uh the chance to do but it has a, it has another huge advantage advantage because once people feel that they own a stake in it first of all they become more loyal and buy more and far and, and this and so forth but i don't like to think of it of it as this because it's a bit cynical i really the most important thing is that we want the community to drive it because I think that, for instance, to have like all marketing uh, uh, projects have like focus groups and stuff. We wanted to have the people that actually are the customers to be involved in what's happening in the company. So investors are going to get this beyond the perks and discounts and stuff. We will ask them what the, what the opinion on many things they, we will ask them to come up with initiatives we will ask them to to come up with new products with new services they found so this is our way because think of it that we we are now like eight people we're going to be 80 people in a year if you're going to have a community of 8000 people that really feels that it's it's for them it's belong to them we are expanding, extending the, the company power 100 times over. And it's amazing that a small company can have a huge footprint in the market by really involving the customers and the targeted, market, targeted the audience in its creation. I think it's something unique. I think it's something that, mm. again, it doesn't, it doesn't fit most companies, but in this uh, arena, in this uh, community, I think it's perfect. And again, many, many, just now we have like almost 300 investors already put money in the company, and I'm personally in contact with many dozens of them. They wrote me notes, I reply, we started the conversing, they offered to help, and it's it's really amazing. And I think that this is like a grassroots, it's like a grassroots company. Mm. It doesn't have like... Yeah. Yeah, I think I, you're right. I, I, I feel yeah. it exciting. It is exciting. It's, and I think as you were talking, then I was thinking it is actually quite a unique model. Um, and, and just, 
you know, it's almost like you're, I hate to use the word because I suppose it's a buzzword, but it's almost like you're disrupting the retail industry. Like, as you say, it's not like the big giants that just kind of set up and, uh, you know, everything's as cheap as possible. And obviously we want to, you know, make things accessible, but it's just, I like the, the community aspect of it. It's like involving people um, and, and having them be a part of making this successful. And then, of course, it's part of this whole broader uh, initiative and mission to promote veganism. So I really love that. Um, I, um, one of my questions was going to be, what's your long-term visions uh, for Billion Vegans um, down the track? I think you've sort of covered that I- initially. You've said, you know, at the moment, uh, at the time of this interview, which is November 2018, the products are currently shipping to the US. Um, and then next year, I believe 2019, you're expanding into Canada and the UK. Um, and then presumably um, beyond that after that time. Is that right? Is there anything you want to add about just, yeah, where you see the future of uh, Billion Vegans going? Yeah, it's going to be, first of all, we want to get as fast as possible to have almost all vegan products on our site. So really, so people can actually have a one-stop shop, a single focal point for service, and uh, a lot of related information that can help them with doing their shopping. Uh, and so extending from the content and the product perspective, the ge- ge- geography, of course, we're going to uh, soon go to Canada and then UK and probably the rest of the world quite afterwards. But I think that, again, looking really far ahead, I think that being in the junction of commerce or e-commerce as a major player, going to give us a lot of new possibilities <clears throat> beyond just uh, putting products and sell them. We can actually help small companies, local vendors to, blue, to, to flourish. We, we can have, again, hopefully we're going to get to this point where when you are, again, a major player in the junction between sellers, all the value chain to the customers, you can have, you can do many, many things. You can actually uh, proactively uh, assist in reducing prices. Mm, uh, yeah, because that so good. so we ha- <clears throat> so once you get this kind of attraction and audience and 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 brand, and you have more again more buying power uh, uh, with the with the large sellers with the large brands. You can actually make um, an impact on the prices, on the availability, and I think it's I think it's important. Aside from the fact that I hope that sincerely we're going to get many people that are still on the fence from veganism on veganism will join the will be vegan all the way because it's going to be easier, casual, affordable, fun, and even people will even can brag about being it. It's, not bragging, not the education, not the, not being, uh, not feel uh, superior to other, but feel yeah. that it's made made their lives happier, made a lot of, <laughs> saved a lot of animal lives. I think it's, I think again, when you are big, and again, we we must uh, we must uh, mention Amazon. Amazon is not just a platform; it's actually a mindsetting uh, uh, business. It's actually it's defined the future. It doesn't only um, predict the future, it creates it. And uh, this is how I feel about Billion Vegans because once we get to that position, 
we can help to shape the future. And again, we, I, I, I can't, we're going to get so many good ideas over time. And, uh, and again, one of the things that I tell entrepreneurs that the problem is not what things you should do, but the bigger challenge is what things you shouldn't do. And uh, this is exactly, uh, I hope we're going to get uh, to this point uh, quite soon, but we're going to have a huge amount of uh, possibilities and opportunities to contribute to the world and to the vegan community and, and to animals, and we'll do the right uh, decisions. Wonderful. Fantastic. That's been great. You've shared some wonderful insights. It's been great having you on the show, uh, Alon. And obviously, we'll put links to both Billion Vegans and to the uh, WeFunder campaign that you've got going. And hopefully, you'll have plenty more vegan business owners who are listening to the podcast, who are regular and new listeners to the show, who will be uh, listing their products on your site. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for hosting me. It was indeed a pleasure. So that was Alon Hochberg from Billion Vegans. You can find out more at billionvegans.com. And that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 114. Now for our vegan business news roundup. The City of Los Angeles is considering mandating that sport and entertainment venues serve vegan food options, reports Variety. Councilman Paul Coretz proposed the measure this week, that's December 2018 if you're listening in the future, alongside representatives from PETA, the Humane League and the Los Angeles Food Policy Council. The ordinance would require theatres and other large-scale entertainment venues that serve food to offer at least one vegan protein option on their menus. Coretz said there is no downside to it, suggesting that meat products such as hot dogs that are currently sold in these venues can easily be substituted with vegan versions. So it's interesting to see how this will play out and whether it could work in other cities or countries. Certainly it will provide opportunities for vegan business owners who make or sell these type of products and it provides additional income for the venues. I know whenever I go to the cinema I make sure to either eat beforehand or take food with me because of the lack of vegan options. And if this does pass, it could set a precedent for other states and areas to follow suit. So I'll keep you updated on any developments. Drinks company Drake's Organic Spirits has become what it claims to be the first spirit company to be certified vegan, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free and kosher, reports Veg News. The Minnesota-based firm, which makes a range of ramen vodka drinks, announced that it has met the standards for vegan certification by the Vegan Awareness Foundation, a trademark for items that are free from animal ingredients and that have not been tested on animals. The move is part of the company's commitment to provide a more healthy, eco-friendly and ethical way of drinking. Drake's uses a coconut fibre filtration process that ensures no animals are used as ingredients or in the production of its alcohol. It also donates a portion of its product sales to Animal Rescue Foundation, Long Lake Animal Rescue. So it's good to see the drink sector getting more on board with making their products vegan. It makes no difference to consumers who already enjoy the beverages and of course it opens up new markets. 
And as we continue to see restaurateurs like Rabbi de Rossi in New York demanding vegan alcohol to serve at their venues, we should see this trend in veganizing drinks continue, which is fantastic. Finally, an entrepreneur in Bristol in the UK is turning milk delivery on its head with his creation of bottled milk made from tiger nuts, reports the Bristol Post. Josh Coppersmith-Heaven came up with the idea after trying a similar drink during his travels around Africa and created his product Tiger Milk, and that's spelled M-Y-L-K. According to Heaven, the tiger nuts, which are actually not nuts but tubers, create a creamy texture. As many entrepreneurs do, he started his business small and local. He currently makes the tiger milk in his kitchen at home and sells it to residents across North Bristol, delivering it in bottles, like a traditional milkman, on his bike. His aim is to rival some of the vegan milks in supermarkets, such as almond and oat. And as well as creating a product that's tasty and ethical, Heaven is also keen to make it as sustainable as possible. Concerned about the huge amount of plastic and tetrapack waste generated by all kinds of milk, both from animals and plants, he uses reusable glass bottles with metal caps that are washed and reused. I love this story because it really shows creativity and determination. Many entrepreneurs start out this way. Um, Australian Pana Babunis made deliveries of his Pana chocolate on his motorbike when he first started out before growing the company internationally. Abhay Rangan of Good Milk in India did the same. So if you've got an idea for a product, don't be afraid to get out there and test it. Also, note how the local media found this story of interest. So it's not just another brand creating a product. The human interest side made it unique. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more free resources as well as details of how we can work together to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. And I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now.